like to object right now, but I want to do it at the right time. Please don't do it. Please, Look, please. I'm going to object. I'm going to object. My hand's going up. My hand's going up. Don't. It's going up. I object. All righty there. <laughs> we are in our segment, second segment of Can't Touch This. And right now we're setting uh, just, uh, again, a little foundation as we move through this. We've been talking about marriage, talking about expectations. Last week we talked about submission. And this week we're going to be talking about love. And we're going to see that all these uh, ideas, these concepts are, are moving parts in our life. And a lot of times there are subjects that we just don't uh, talk about. Uh, we, we stay away from. And in your uh, program, and uh, there is a um, basically an option guide, an option matrix. And uh, we've talked about this during our first segment, how to kind of move through some of these areas in life where maybe they seem a little too hot to touch or, or maybe we don't speak enough to them, how to sift through all these concepts that are out there that seem to be, you know, just uh, really difficult. And our bottom line in all of this is uh, go to the Bible and then go with the Bible. And the idea here is that no matter what the scenario is, no matter what it is, that you and I can find answers in the scriptures. It may not be instantaneous, but if you and I walk through, spend some time thinking and uh, digesting, talking with other folks, doing a little research, we can come to answers that we can feel fairly comfortable with when it comes to all these different ideas. And we'll see that as Jesus dealt with these things, he was always full of love and grace, or, or grace and truth. And you and I can um, find those things for ourselves. So in this segment, uh, next week we're going to be talking about children. Uh, the following week, we're going to be talking about divorce, and then we're going to be talking about alternative lifestyles and how we respond to that. And then we'll get back into seeking as we look at Samuel and Saul and move into that up to Easter. So we've got a few more weeks in this, and then at the end, after um, Easter, we'll get back in and cover a few more of these things, and then we should be done with Can't Touch This for a While. Now, um, one of the things we need to realize is that last week we talked about this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we saw that and we saw this general principle and we see this flushed out with this idea of following uh, the man's lead. And we'll talk about this a little bit, but really you should go back to last week because really last week and this week is one message in two parts. And I don't want to relive all of that, but uh, you can go back and, and take a look at that. But this idea of reverence for Christ, honoring Christ, the spirit of Christ, considering others better than yourself, loving others, shaped all this idea of submission. And then we see this idea that says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And really, as we saw last week, that this is... Um, wives inviting your husbands to lead. And we talked about Christ's servant leadership and what that looks like. It's not just so that the husband says he can get his own way all the time. There's a lot more going on there. So I encourage you to go back and see how we unpacked that last week. So when you think about uh, husbands uh, or wives inviting uh, your husbands to lead, I know when we would joke around as a family, and I have three daughters, they always used to like to quote this, uh, this little clip from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And you may be familiar with this. Come on, please. Don't you worry. I'm going to talk to him. My dad is so stubborn. What he says goes. You know, the man is the head of the house. Let me tell you something, Tora. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants. No, cry, don't cry. All right, and we go, whoa, and I would hear that from the girls all the time. They love saying that. But again, back to next last week, you see how that leadership is to unfold and how it's to touch the family unit and uh, touch relationships. 
Uh, Gary Thomas says this in a book called Sacred Influence. He says this, the typical man remains unmoved by power plays or criticism or by the wife who disrespects him. He's moved by a wife who lets him lead and then helps him get where, I put this in there, God wants him to go. And so there's this, this, this tone, there's this current in this situation. And so as we're thinking about this, uh, you know, it's, it's this idea of servant leadership and letting a man have the opportunity. God's wired you to do that. Some of us have to earn that credibility, start from scratch. There's a big process there. You can't go from this uh, service uh, last week and just elbow your spouse, your wife, and say, see, you have to do what I say. Then you've got it totally wrong, and you're in for um, big, 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 big problems. So one of the questions that came up, and I just want to take a few minutes here. I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on this, but this whole idea of um, what happens when you're in a relationship and uh, it's even a two believers, two Christ followers, but, but one is kind of stuck. And what I mean by stuck is they're really not uh, engaged in following Christ and letting the heart of Christ show up in, in, in their life. What do you do, especially when you're married? And, you know, as we think about this again, we have this idea, I like the way the message says it, Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways to show your support for Christ. But, but what do we do? What do we do when we feel like we're at, at this impasse and um, everybody's just kind of being like, my, let's see, a great theological term uh, my grandfather used to use. He would say, you're being a stick in the mud. So let's just say you're being a stick in the mud and you're not moving and you're just you're you're married to someone and you think you're not being a stick in the mud but you think everybody else is being stick in the mud what what do you do with that how do you how do you navigate those waters when you just seem to be hitting a wall and you're really in humility saying I'm really trying to honor Christ but my spouse just seems not to be to be going anywhere how, how do you how do you deal with that well, in the Spencer household, we sometimes have these stick-in-the-mud situations, and uh, th this is just an example. I am in charge of recycling in my house, and uh, I take that job very seriously, getting everything out. And so in our trash can, we have this thing. So you have a, you have a back one where the cans go, and the front one's where the trash goes. And any cardboard thing goes somewhere else. So this is just like one morning I get in there, and if you can see it, there is a can in the trash thing. And, and people actually laugh when that happens. And I'm like, this, this, is, this, is, this is just wrong. What is going on here? And here's another example. I look in there, and we find not just cans, but we find a paper roll in there, and it's just supposed to be cans. And I feel like I'm getting this resistance, this, this pushback. Please pray for the Spencers. This is this is heavy duty problem, and uh, you know. So so so, what do you do when you're trying to do the right thing and you just find yourself up against it, and uh, you continue to try to do the right thing, you continue to do the right thing, and uh, people are just not cooperating. And sometimes you'd be in those situations where one person in a marriage is not a believer, and sometimes both people are believers. And I'd like to show you a little clip from Barbara Plant. Some of you may remember her. And uh, she gives an example of what to do when you find yourself in a relationship that just isn't open to moving forward spiritually. In her case, she was married to a guy who was not a believer. And uh, this, this is how she describes this time in her life. Five years that he would be saved. Yes, and I started praying for him as soon as I was saved. Five years into the marriage, I was saved. He was very set against anything spiritual. He didn't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. So I thought, well, if I can't talk it, I'll walk it. Later on, a few years later, he got very sick. He coughed all the time. He couldn't talk. He coughed. He sneezed. 
the doctor uh, operated on him, and he called me up and he said, in all my years of surgery, I have never in my life seen anything like that. One lung is completely eaten away by cancer. The other one is adhered to his chest. And he says, there's nothing we can do except sew him up and send him home to recuperate. And every single treatment he had made him feel worse. He couldn't eat, he was cold all the time. Walter Holder visited in the hospital. He says, Barbara, I know how he feels about spiritual things. I'm not going to minister to him. I'm simply going to befriend him. So he went in about every day and uh, befriended him. Then later on, a pastor came out. He says, we've got a new brother in Christ, but don't say a word, let him tell you. So I went in to be told, he said nothing. So I went off to my place in the kitchen. Baba, might as well tell you I'm a Christian now. That's all he ever said. But it says in the Bible, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And he did just enough to cover it. At his funeral, the pastor mentioned how he had been so opposed to anything spiritual, but he finally... He, Pastor Holder, led him to the Lord, and he says, you know, it was just like cutting melted butter. He was ready, he was waiting, and he promised me the very first chance he... So when you, when you hear Barbara's story, she has married to someone who just was not open to any spiritual movement uh, in his life. And we can find ourselves in the same place. And sometimes that's even the case where the person is a believer. And they just do not want to take any other steps. So, so what do we do? How do we, how do we navigate that? How do we just uh, live our lives? And, and Barbara gives us a great example. Is she stopped talking about it all the time and she lived it. And I could tell you stories. He was a tyrant. He, he would push her buttons tells us one story where she had the washing machine and it wasn't working and she went uh, she finally got her to him to order the parts from Sears and he said he ordered it and he, she would go in to Sears where's my part where's my part so I can she was actually pretty handy she was fixing her washing machine and finally she found out that he had never ordered it he was just enjoying the fact that she didn't have the washing machine working so he he was a tough cookie but she just continued to live it and eventually that touches his heart and some of us again are, are married to people that say yeah I'm, I'm a christ follower but just only will go so far so so what what do we do uh, we look at submission, we look at love, we look at thinking of people moving in the same way, but what do we do when we're like at this wall? And, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, and again, and we're just going to just fly into this, but I was thinking about the idea that, you know, um, there's a passage in, uh, in the Corinthians that Paul writes, and he, he talks about giving directions for unbelieving spouses to be applied to a believing spouse. So, so what do you do? How do, you, how, do you, how do you work that through? Uh, the unbelieving spouse uh, is staying. They want to be engaged in the marriage to some degree. You're a believer. And, and how do you work that? And I, and I think you can also make some applications to when you're in a marriage where one person really just isn't hungry for it, isn't really, really going after it. So if we went over to 1 Corinthians 7, 11, or 7, 16, we read, you never know, wife, the way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband. The way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but to God. So the idea here is the way you and I live our faith when we're in these situations can have an impact on the other person there's a way to have an impact that pushes the person away and there's a way to have an impact that makes faith contagious now in all these situations they're all a little different they're all a little messy so you've got to navigate through them i, I can't give you uh, like a like a step-by-step -step, do this do this do this and then this automatically happens but you can start to live in such a way that the the exposure to you living out your faith can have an impact 
in another person. Love verse 17. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines you. And so you and I can find ourselves in these situations. Sometimes they're different than marriage relationships, and God has us there. And as long as we're there, and even though it gets really hard, Barbara, it was hard for Barbara. Haven't heard many situations. He wasn't abusive, uh, you know, physically, maybe a little emotionally pushing her buttons, but he just was difficult. And um, she stuck with it. And in her case, that, that, that made all the difference. And so what do you and I do when we're in these kinds of situations? I think of what Paul talks about, his grace being sufficient. We read, the Lord told me, my grace is enough, it's all you need. Paul saying this about a difficulty that he experienced. My strength comes into its own in your weakness, God says. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on my on the handicap, the difficulty, and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. And then we read, Now I take limitations in stride, and with good cheer, I just let Christ take over, and so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So when you and I are in these situations where somebody else doesn't want to move, doesn't want to take a step forward, we actually have an opportunity to be grace in that place. You and I have to experience grace ourselves. And if we can remind ourselves when we are struggling at our what seems to be our limit, when we're at the end of our rope, it gives God an opportunity to show up. Barbara's story, we see the beginning and the end. That, that was like a 25-year experience for her. It was hard. And in year 24, she was at the end of her rope, but she hung in there. So you and I have that opportunity, and it's not just playing positive thinking in our uh, mind. God has given us, Paul gave us the directions as inspired word of God that you and I can have that grace that will see us through those kinds of situations. So when you find yourself in a marriage, in a relationship, but specifically a marriage, where the other person won't take a step towards God, whether they're an unbeliever or whether they are a believer, you have the opportunity to flavor that relationship in such a way that it creates an appetite for what you have. And I could probably pass the mic around here and you could tell some stories of where you were in a relationship, whether it was a friendship, whether it was a marriage, and you flavored that friendship, you flavored that marriage in such a way that faith all of a sudden started becoming contagious to the other person. Now, in a few, few weeks, we're going to talk about divorce and some of the ins and outs of all of that. Uh, but you have to remember, when Jesus talks about divorce, I'm just going to leave this here, he talks about this. He says this. He says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So again, we're not talking abuse. We're not talking any of those kinds of things. But, but there are moments where God, God, for Moses, just said, you know, your heart. It's your heart. So when we look into these circumstances, we look into our marriages, we look into these relationships. When our heart, in a sense, has been poisoned, we let Jesus in. We let Jesus rewrite the operating system of our heart. And when our heart becomes toxic and we experience that grace, we find that that grace is sufficient for those relationships. 
So we hang in there with the hope in the prayer that living right, not living perfectly, but living right will influence the other person. So I just wanted to say that as a sidebar because they brought up last week, so what do you do in those kinds of situations? That's a start down that road. I think you gather people around you, not like cheering us everywhere, but you gather people around you that can pray and support you, encourage you when you feel like giving up, but you, but you, you, you can make it down that road. So last week we saw wives, let your husbands lead, or, and this week we see husbands lead your wife with applied love. So if you're going to be the one who sets the tone in your relationship, if you're going to take on that role, you and I need to apply love to the scenario. We need to have the same kind of love that Christ has for his church. We read, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. And what's so important about this is you're going to find that sometimes this love will be a one-way street. There's a book that Andy Stanley wrote about uh, five questions to ask, and the first four all basically are cause and effect questions. If you do this, then this will happen. And the last question is about love. And it's the question toys this way, what does love require of me? And as he unpacks those ideas, he says, the thing about love is sometimes, many times, you demonstrate love, but there's not a guarantee payoff. You're loving. It's not a, it's not a two-way street. You don't love to get something. You have this unconditional love. So when you and I as husbands have the responsibility, last week we had that verse that talked about the, the sacred trust of being a husband, we lead our wives with applied love, not stated love, not communicated, talked about love, but actually applied love. And so when we get into situations, we ask that question, what does love require of me? And even if I'm loving, I may not get my own way. I may not get it going this way or that way. So we, it, it's one of those things that we are very vulnerable, very exposed, and as husbands, we apply this love. And Jesus demonstrated love by coming to earth, being born in that manger, giving his living 33 and a half years, not the funnest experience at times, dying on the cross, all that goes along with that. And that's how he loved the church. So th this is, this is, this is a, a, a full, all-in kind of love. And when we have spouses, wives, that see us making an attempt, trying, not getting it perfect all the time, it's easier for them to follow us, our lead because they know we absolutely love them. It's not a self-serving love. I love this insurance commercial. I've shown it to you before. It goes through the Greek, four Greek words and their meaning for love, which encompasses all of love that we're talking about here. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love has an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back 
or look ahead and say, we got it right. For 175 years, hopefully for 2,000 plus years, we as a community of faith, we as Christians, Christ followers, have been pointing to that kind of love. And when you look at Jesus and the way he loved people, he loved the church, which was basically a group of Christ followers, that's what that means, not a building, he demonstrates all those kinds of love. So as a husband, if we're going to apply this kind of love, if it's just a friend, if we're going to live this kind of love, this is what we are talking about, a full all-in kind of love. So husbands... Love your wives wholly. Engage with everything you have. No reserves. You're giving yourself away. This is the kind of love we're talking about. I didn't have time to do a little research, but uh, you know the verse that talks about love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul? I almost wanted to show that and say, Yes, God is to be the primary, we're to love God, but as we reflect our love for God, we love our spouses, mind, soul, heart, everything we have. God calls us to love that way. But a lot of times when I bring this subject up, and and I want to be very clear, I'm not perfect at this by any means, when we think of uh, kind of the joking around husbands and how they behave, Uh, We kind of think of this guy. The beautiful stuff. I would think, how could he be so bad at this? Look at all the wrinkles. And now I know. You faked it. What? Admit it. You faked it, so I would do it for you. No, no, there was no fake. Then explain to me how you can't fold a shirt. Explain to me how an adult human with thumbs is not able to do that. (laughs) I don't know. It's embarrassing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah? What else? What else have you faked? Nothing. (laughs) been there a little bit (laughs) good thing cindy's in kid zone (laughs) i actually do know how to do that but i don't know how to do that but anyway all in gary thomas again says how have i loved my wife in the past two or three weeks in such a way that it has cost me something vocationally work financially And with my hobbies, my time, or my patience. It's a real hard question. I like the fact it says two or three weeks, not the last day. (laughs) That's a little bit of room. But how have we done that? All in kind of love. And as we are talking about this subject, I I really uh, encourage you, don't be elbowing the person sitting next to you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How have I done that? In 1 Peter, we're told, be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they, ha- they lack some of your advantages. That doesn't mean they're not as smart as you, wise as you, all of that. But, but there are parts where this is still a man's world. You have advantages. You have physical advantages. There are some things you're stronger about. Don't get into childbirth, but everything else may be stronger, right? But in new life of God's grace, you are equals. Again, this is changing. We said, I think, last week that uh, wherever Christ-centeredness shows up in society, women and children fare better when that's really the truth. And you can see this through history. So as Peter's addressing this, you can see that coming through. You're equals, because at one time that wasn't the case. They didn't think that. They didn't communicate that. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. You ever thought about that? The way you and I are husbands, the way we communicate, affects our spiritual life. It affects our prayers. So when you and I are not having the best relationship we can with our spouse, when we're not demonstrating love, when we're not honoring them, when we're not understanding that we might have a little bit more power in our lives than they do or whatever, 
and we're playing that card, taking that advantage in on ourselves, it affects our prayer life. Guys, you ever wondered why your prayers seem to hit the ceiling? Sometimes it could be because you've been taking advantage of yourself. And then there's even broader implications that even in husband and wives, either or, or your relationship with others, horizontal relationships, besides your vertical relationship with God, it affects the way God interacts with us. It creates static on the line. When you and I are hard to others, God says, if that's the way you want to operate, sometimes I let you experience a little distance from me if that's the way you're going to treat other people. Especially here, Peter, who was married, is saying, treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. I'd encourage you to read through the Ephesians out of the uh, English uh, Standard Version on your own. It's where I want to move a little bit ahead here. And uh, what I'm going to show you next, I I hesitate to show you in some ways because I I really don't ever want you to think that I think I'm perfect because you know I'm not, but I think I got things all together. But I have to work so hard at this that I write things down. And so I have something called daily strategic renewal, which sounds, what in the world is that? And every year I have, it's probably now like 20 pages. And when I get a quote and when I get an idea, I stick it in this document and I read it three or four times a week. And I say, these, these are how I'm trying to measure my life. So I've got all kinds of little sections, all kinds of little things. Some things have stayed there for 20 years. Some things drift off. This is how I do it. This isn't a right or wrong, but I'm too thick to just remember it. I've got to write it down and review it. And so three or four times a week, I go through this list. And this is my section on Cindy. Megan made it make a little more sense than what I had written down, so it's a little smoother. So thank you, Megan. She does that a lot with my message outline. So anything that she did in there, she's tweaked it so it makes sense. But uh, anyway, um, so this is what I want to give to Cindy. So first of all is I want my demonstrated devotion to be devoted. I want to be devoted to romance, companionship, in service. So I have to ask myself, what what does she need from me? And it's not because she's weak and needy, but what am I to offer her? So I want to demonstrate devotion to her. I want her to know that my world, besides God, revolves around her. Not my kids, not my job, her. Not my stuff, not even my iPhone, her. My devotion is demonstrated. So I want to be devoted to romance. I want to be creative in that. I want to keep doing some of the things, not all the things, because uh, boy, when you're when you're starting off and you're trying to uh, you know woo someone, but I, but I want to have those things still a part of my life. I, I try to figure those things out, and I want to be devoted to companionship. I really do want her to be my best friend. When I have news, I don't want to just think of one of my buddies to call. Okay, guess what happened? I want her to be at the top of my list. And I want to figure out ways to serve her. And there are little ways. Empty the dishwasher. That sounds so little, but uh, keep never leave dishes in the sink. Those kinds of things. Uh, you know, and again, you know, you guys who are handy, you know, you can fix cars, change oil. I can't do any of that stuff. So I have to do stuff so mainly I make the bed every day. That's my job. So, I mean, you know, because I can't, I don't know how to do those things. If I did those things, tires would be coming off our car. So, but trying to figure out ways to serve. So I ask myself when I read through this a couple times a week. Also, my affection. Cherish anything that communicates to her my love and how much I value her. Does your wife feel that? Cherish. I remember the first time I communicated this to my daughters and something was going on and they they wanted uh, something and uh, I, I 
made it very clearly. I said, you've got to realize I love your mom more than I will ever love you. They're like, what? I said, well, first of all, you're going to be out of this house, like, hopefully soon, but you're going to be out of this house, and then I'm going to be with her for another 20, 30, whatever years. So she's my center. I mean, that's just, you know, knowing where my bread is buttered. But, uh, you know, so, so, so you need to understand that. So when you come up against the, my wife, she wins every time, even even when I think your request or I think she's being a little too motherly, she still wins. She always wins. And if, if, if you push back on her, I learned this from my dad, then now I'm angry, not about the item. I'm angry because you're pushing back on my wife. I won't have it. So anything that communicates value uh, for her. Don't go after her while I'm here, just for the record. <laughs> My protection. And this isn't because she's a little woman. It's because she has fears, just like me. And so I, I want to protect her. I want to take care of her. I want to make sure she's safe. Taking care of things. Making sure, you know, since I can't fix it myself, make sure the cars are always running right for her. As long as we can afford it, you understand? And if we can't afford it, then she gets the better car or whatever. You know, you know, just all those kinds of things. Sometimes, you know, I think things are silly, you know, like, oh, you're a little, but, but I don't make fun of her because I want her to feel safe. Even if I perceive that's not a need, I want her to feel safe. Openness. She's curious about my heart. I need to be thankful that she's curious about my heart, that she cares what I think, what I, what I, what's bothering me, and I, I don't, I don't dump on everything on her because you know, you know, pastor stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on, but, but she's curious about my heart. She wants to know what's going on in me, and uh, sometimes I don't want to relive things or explain things, or, but, but I, I do because I want to be open to her. I want, I want to be an open book to her that she can read my heart anytime she wants. She also does want leadership from me. She wants direction from me. And it's funny, one of the things that attracted me to her when we were, we were dating, I was a few years younger than her, I was still in college, she was on her way out, is that she was kind of like her own person. But it was funny when I... When we got married, all of a sudden I felt her getting very comfortable with, with me kind of leading. And, and she, 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 she liked that piece. And every person's different, so how you, how you express that leadership, you, 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 you study your spouse, you study your wife, and knows what resonates with her. You, you need to know her better than you know any other person in your life, in your world. So you know how she responds to it. And some of this may sound a little stereotypical, but again, this is what I, I read through. Um, also along with this is this idea of respect. Respect, reaffirm her value, never make her feel small or, you know, like she's, you know, shame or, uh, you know, just because she didn't get something if she didn't get something. And uh, just, just reaffirming her value. Never, never doing that kind of thing. Um, also, my help for a demanding life. I'll brag on her, but I, my wife works hard. I mean, she leaves at the m morning 5.30 every morning, gets home, and I live in this world where she still cooks our dinner, even though I probably could probably figure that out for maybe another way of saying. When I'm, when I'm serving her, we go out to eat, so I feel I get something. But um, she has a demanding life. Uh, and some of it's just dealing with me. So, so some of it's just dealing with you, you know. Uh, but, uh, but understanding that, not going into it, my life's demanding, you're here for me. No, it's the other way around. My help for a demanding life. And it kind of goes right along with that, just appreciation. How do I appreciate her? Leaving notes for her when I used to travel. Sending a text message or I'm just thinking of you. Just send a heart. 
and, and this is going to sound really terrible. Sometimes I've actually programmed a reminder in my calendar to remind me to do these things because I want to re- know. I get so into my day, I could forget. I don't want a day to go by where she hasn't heard that I, I appreciate her. And then also having fun. Not being so driven and so all business, trying to figure out ways to, to have fun. And then, I, and then I think this is if you're really owning your faith as a man and you're really growing into it, I think there is this piece where you can give your wife pastoral guidance. doesn't mean you're her pastor, but if you're setting the tone in your home and you're leading your home and you're really following Christ, there'll be times where pastoral guidance. So I, I have to stay sharper spiritually, not because I'm a pastor, but because my wife is so sharp. So I have to read more, and all, she's always reading stuff. So I have to, I have to keep sharp, not not just not for you all, but for her. So so I take that uh, very seriously, not because I'm a pastor, but I need to do these things. So if you're really going to be all in and really engage, her, these are just some ideas. I, you come up with your own list, come up with your own thing, but just to show her that uh, she is the uh, center of your life and attention. Also, um, husbands, love your wives to holiness. Empower her to full, be fully God. So that means giving her room in life so she can go to a Bible study or do a Bible study or these kinds of things. Uh, giving her room so every once in a while she go off to a conference and, and sometimes there's not a lot of money to go to something like that. But making sure that she can do it and she feels no regret. Wow, that was an expensive conference. Where'd you... Did you have to go out that much? Did you have to do that? No, no. I, I am just excited that she's doing that. So do you empower her to really be fully God? Christ's love makes the church. Remember, our love as husbands is to reflect this. Makes the church whole. How do you make your wife whole? Again, you're not God in her life. But do you take from her so she's kind of like falling into pieces? Or do you help her Behold, his words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. How do you set your spouse, your wife, up for holiness? If you're not married, men, you need to be figuring out how do I grow spiritually so that when God brings that woman into my life, I am ready for the challenge. Just don't coast and wait until that happens. Some of you need to drive you to grow in your relationship with God so you're a man of substance so that when you're put in that place, you can be that man of substance. You can empower her to be fully God. We've talked about this before, so I'm not going to do about the idea about setting your wife up when she finally meets her Lord and Savior, that she gets a well done, my good and faithful servant, and you helped that happen. You created an environment where that was possible. You didn't drain her so much that she had no room left over to spend anything on her walk with God. That meant when Cindy and I were first, when we first started having babies and all that stuff, we had twins, and then 18 months we had a third, that I made sure in the morning I kept them entertained so she could at least get 10 or 15 minutes with the Lord by herself. And I didn't make it a big deal. I just did it, trying to figure those kinds of things out. Uh, when I was home, I would try to, try to be, if I was home, I'd put the kids to bed no matter what. If I was in the house, that was my job. And I never was like giving, you know, sometimes give the kids a heart, like, get into bed, I can't stand, you know. But she never picked that up, that that, uh, that that was a burden for me because that was something I could give for her. Husbands, love your wives to wholeness. Anticipate her needs. Know her so well that you know if she's going to have a need before she speaks it to you anticipate it i think i've mentioned this before sometimes at uh celebrations of life you know you read the 23rd psalm and everybody thinks about how god is our shepherd and and that gives us encouragement and strength but i've also talked about how to think about if god is my shepherd 
how can I shepherd other people? I encourage you to read through Psalm 23 and see some things will not fit, but there's some ways you can be a shepherd to other people, especially your spouse. You can lead her beside still waters, quiet waters. You can create those moments in her life as you think about it. So I encourage you on your own to read through that and see um, how you can do that. Husbands, love your wives to wholeness. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Real quickly, there's a little list here of how we can love our wives. I got this from uh, another source. I just like the things. Just I'm just going to throw them out there. You can think about it. Love her heart with an emotional love. Love her mind with an intellectual love. Let her be all she can be. I know there was a time in our lives where I really encouraged Cindy to go on to school and get her master's. And life wasn't just about me and my career as a pastor. And did she want to do that? And we would make the sacrifices to make that happen. Um, and, and all of that. And she didn't want to do it, but I wanted to make sure. And I, the minute she said, no, I really don't want to do that. I was like, yes. No, I wasn't like that. I was like, I came back at it a couple times because she knew the cost that it would be. I wanted her to be all she could be. I didn't want her to be limited by me. I wanted her to be free to love by me. Love her body, physical love, taking care of her, also intimacy. Does your wife really think that you love her in all your various aspects? Love her soul talked about that spiritual love wanting her to be where she can be with God also love her relationships give her freedom to have relationships with other people not so tied to the house or tied to work or whatever give her freedom to go out and, and do things encourage her to do that love her relationships Love her humanity. Understand she is flesh and blood. She can't go 90 miles an hour all day long, week after week after week. Do you have a realistic love for your wife? Does she feel like she get, she's just she's drowning physically because she just can't meet those expectations? It is humanly impossible. this a little bit but love her calling figure out who God wants her to be and let her do that let her do those kinds of things and then also love her maker if I was going to start I might start with this if you're really all in when it comes to your relationship with God, husbands, and it flows out of your life, you will be an excellent husband. Never ever use spiritual things to manipulate, to control. There's spiritual abuse. There's books written on that stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. It's you follow God so well that not only is it your own heart saying these things to yourself, but the Holy Spirit has freedom in your heart to tell you when you stepped out of line and you need to step up and be the husband you want to be. And you're responsive. When it's not you're feeling guilty, you're feeling convicted and, and you respond to that. You go, wow, that was selfish. I am going to try not to be that way again. Holy Spirit, keep speaking to me about that and help me to respond to you, not to become callous in that area and ignore your leading. So love God Almighty, and that will show up in your life. I'm going to do this. It's a little long. Cindy's in kids' zone, but... Uh, showed you this clip, but this is kind of like the icing on the cake, so we're going to go through this. I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything. 
from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed, I do absolutely everything. I clean her teeth, I shower, dress, everything. And, um, but it's, pri- it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year where we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16, I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on, and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> when we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon, because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo, and I can still smell it, because that smell was so particular, so nice, it was just absolutely special. We had a bike, I used to ride everywhere on my bike, and then Brad had a bike as well, and we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike, and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well, so... Yeah, bike's been part of our lives, and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike, you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. As we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't (laughs) have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, No, not at all. We love each other. When you get the real her, get the real her. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for the gift of relationships. Some of us uh, come to a discussion like this with uh, pretty heavy wounds in our heart, and this discussion is not to make light of anything. But Father, help us to shoot for your intentions, your dreams for us when it comes to relationships, especially our spouses. Father, I I just ask that you would unpack this message wherever it needs to be in each one of our hearts. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.